Brothers and sisters, hear the good news. You love God because he first loved you. We were not wise enough to be chosen. We were not righteous enough or rich enough. In fact, we were liars, thieves, adulterers, and idolaters. We were all sinners. Yet God showed grace by setting his love upon you and marking you out for his own possession. Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins so that you would be made new again. He has brought you into his family and adopted you as his children. He's cleaned you up and washed you thoroughly inside and out. He's covered you with robes of righteousness and bedecked you as a glorious bride made ready for his son. He's even put his Holy Spirit within you to help you, to guide you, to convict you, to draw you back and to finish the work of making you holy as he is holy. All of this because he first loved you. Brothers and sisters, having truly confessed our sins, God himself promises you the forgiveness of the Father, the victory of the Son, and the glory and empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Believe this and rejoice. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. God's word to us this morning begins in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18. Let us lift up our hearts and hear the word of the Lord. Matthew chapter 18, verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called the child to himself and set him before them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you were converted and become like children, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it is better for him that a heavy millstone be hung around his neck, and that he be drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world because of its stumbling blocks, for it is inevitable that stumbling blocks come. But woe to that man through whom the stumbling block, uh, stumbling block comes. And if your hand or your foot causes you to stumble... Cut it off and throw it from you. It is better for you to enter life cripple or lame than having two hands or two feet to be cast into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out and throw it from you. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into the fiery hell. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that their angels in heaven continually behold the face of my Father who is in heaven. We'll turn now to Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. Brethren, even if a man is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Let each one examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone, and not in regard to another. For each one shall bear his own load. And let the one who has taught the word share all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh shall from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit 
shall from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we shall reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all men, and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. If you would, please turn to the back of your bulletin. We'll read together as a congregation Psalm 128. Psalm 128. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we thank you that you're a God who loves us. And you call us into your presence because you want to talk to us. And we pray that by the Spirit you would speak to us the word, the word of Jesus Christ. We thank you that you care enough to train us and discipline us. And we want to be the people who follow in your stead to watch over our children as you watch over us. So now we ask that you'd bless our time together for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. I don't know if any of you have been to a maximum security prison in Texas, but I've been to many of them. I used to do seminars in the prisons, and they are awful places, and uh, there are people made in God's image there that, well, they're awful people. You wouldn't want to meet them on the back alley at all. But there's one little problem. These prisons are a hell hole. You go in because you've committed a crime, and many of them to survive will have to commit a crime inside. They will be abused. They will be tortured. They will be, oh, they'll lose all their dignity. And we think we're reforming them. In the Old Testament, of course, They didn't really have prisons. They had some cities that you could run to if you committed manslaughter, and you would stay in that city until the death of the high priest. But you didn't stay by yourself, and you didn't do nothing. You stayed with your family. They came to you, and you lived there. So you're dislocated for a while, and all to declare the high value of those made in the image of God whom you killed accidentally. Instead, they had a legal code. You know it. It's the Ten Commandments with big expansion into 613 prohibitions and commands. And within it were the judgments, what to do when it's violated. And uh, you know the code, 
An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a hand for a hand, a foot for a foot. But you also know from Deuteronomy chapter 25 that in Israel, when you committed a crime, you were caned. You didn't go to a hellhole and leave your family behind. You didn't lose your dignity. You didn't have to commit crimes to stay alive. You did get more and more angry over the years so that when you come out, you're worse than when you went in. No, you got caned. No, the caning had a limitation. You could only have 40 lashes. That sounds like a whole lot to me. So the leadership decided they would only do 39, thus not to go over. This is what Jesus experienced. That experience in the Gospel of Luke and in the Gospel of John is called discipline. Now, we're going to talk about discipline, but we will not be talking about that kind of discipline. So the word discipline, which occurs both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, has, uh, there's a Hebrew word and there's a Greek word, and it's built off the root that means children or child. And uh, this word discipline can be translated in different ways because of the context. So like with Jesus, it's translated Uh, something like punishment, even though it's the same word. And that's because, of course, when it comes down to the law, which Pilate wasn't really using the law, but he was supposed to be, when it comes down to the law, you have a code and you have certain judgments, and the goal of the law is not to reform somebody. Unfortunately, we've decided that's what we're going to do in our country, and that's why we're in a big mess that we're in and spend billions and billions and billions of dollars on housing prisoners because we think we're going to make them better. We only make them worse. So that word then should be translated at that point, retribution. It's retributive justice. It has nothing to do with reformation. And of course, when Christ died on the cross, he didn't die bearing our sins so that he could be reformed, made a better person. He died under retributive justice. He received the penalty that you and I deserve, and that's why we walk free. Now, he was a perfect man in the end, And he was God, and he had authority from his father to lay down his life and to take it up again, and so he did take it up. This word discipline can, we we think of it in terms of a correction or spanking or paddling, or my neighbor used to call it pow-pows to his kids. I I don't understand all that stuff. But anyway... uh, This word discipline 
is not always correction in the Bible, nor when you see the word, so do you think of it that way? You discipline in a son and a daughter by making them do things that they wouldn't otherwise do, but you're not making them do it because they've done something wrong. You're making them do it so that they grow and, and mature and can handle life. We're not going to use the word that way either. Instead, when we talk about discipline and we're thinking about child discipline, we mean correction. No. Let me hasten to say again, no, not always in the Bible, but we're not talking about the other aspect. We're talking about the corrective aspect. So this word can be translated discipline, which in the passage we're about to read, that's how it's translated, and that's what it means, is a correction. And the corrections, if you make your way through the book of Proverbs, the corrections, well, let me just quote Proverbs 22:15. Every child three years old and up in this room ought to know that verse. And if you don't, tell your parents to teach it to you when you go home. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, and the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. Now the question is, when we read Proverbs 22:15, do we believe in that little verb will? The rod of discipline will drive it out of his heart. Turn if you would to Hebrews chapter 12. As you know, or at least I've said it enough, I love the book of Hebrews. It's my favorite New Testament book. And so when uh, I'm doing a topic, if I can find it in Hebrews, there I'll be. And Hebrews uh, is this book that has lots of warnings, and it's written to people like you and me. They happen to be Jewish Christians, but... uh, Everything that's in the book is applicable to us. And it was written just on the verge of A.D. 70, maybe around 64, 65 A.D., when the church was undergoing persecution by the Romans for being Christians. And the writer is calling that Discipline. In this case, for some people, it was corrective. For others, it wasn't. But it was to make them mature, and the push of the book is an exhortation to hold on, endure, hold fast, don't give up under such persecution. And so in chapter 12 of Hebrews, he's talking about running a race, speaking of the Christian life and comparing what Jesus did, who for the joy set, be, set, who for the joy set, be, set before him sat down, despising the shame, and he's been exalted to the right hand of God. And he says then in verse 5 of chapter 2, 
now turning to talk to the people. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. The word scourge, again, is, is a very strong term. We're not asking you, nor is the Bible asking you to scourge your children, but you are asked to discipline them. It is for discipline that you endure. Well, that's a hard thing to understand, but you have to, you have to think of discipline has its outcome. And so you endure, what it literally says, you endure into discipline. You, you, you receive God's discipline, and discipline produces the kind of effect that God wants. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate. If you have a King James, it uses a different word. Children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject, it's the word, submit, to the Father of spirits and not die, live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful, or the word is painful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, the word trained here is the word gymnasium. Those who have been exercised by, exercised by it, afterwards it, uh, afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. This is, a, this is an amazing passage, and it's addressed to a church like us, because they're undergoing persecution. But within it, he makes a comparison between God's discipline and man's discipline. Of course, God is perfect in discipline, and the outcome he wants, he will get. And man is imperfect in discipline, and sometimes men are horrible to their children in discipline, and they get an outcome, but it may not be the one they're looking for. And there are certain things, then, that we can learn from this passage as we think about discipline. So, first of all, I want to say discipline demonstrates love and legitimate pedigree. 
Now, we live in a time where uh, the word bastard is used to, you know, say nasty things to people. But ultimately, in our culture, it is a meaningless term anymore. Uh, 40 to 50 percent of children live with one parent. More and more children are being born without a father, just an artificial insemination. What would you call that? They have no father to discipline. They have a mother, and I'm not trying to slight mothers. The mother may do a very good job. Who knows? But if you move back into, into Paul's time, and you're in a culture where you have a marriage and you have children, and then as a man you go off and sow wild oats somewhere else and children are produced, well, you got your family back here. You don't care about that other kid. That other kid's not going to be your heir. In fact, you're not going to have anything to do with it. Well, it may not be quite that way in the United States right now, but it's getting close to that. So that men, in their arrogance, in their arrogance, are willing to feed the sperm bank and have, who knows, hundreds of kids in the United States that they never meet, never know, never discipline. So the first thing we want to say is, okay, when a guy's got kids, and they're his kids and his wife's kids, he cares something about them. And in the household, there's got to be some kind of discipline. It can't just be total chaos. And that's the point. If one is not receiving discipline from a parent, it's because they're illegitimate. So God demonstrates our legitimacy by disciplining us. In Revelation, chapter 3, verse 19, God says, Those whom I love, I discipline and reprove, so repent. If one doesn't care what's going to happen to a child as they grow up, if they think they can, you know, we live in a time again. We're, we're, we're asking kids at five, six, seven years old to decide what gender they are as if they need no guidance, no help. They're just smart whips all over the place and they can make their way, choose whatever God they want, do whatever they want to. And our country's a mess because of it. So discipline establishes legitimacy and it is a sign of love. We will talk about that love in a minute. Secondly, Discipline builds respect. He says, you had fathers who disciplined you and you respected them. Well, our, our word respect here is not the typical word you would see in the New Testament for respect, uh, but it's the same concept. And remember, that word is really the word fear. And so if you live in a household as a kid where your parents are abusive, yes, you have a certain kind of respect. But it would be more on the order of being afraid. 
Am I going to get beaten tonight? And plenty of that goes on in our country as well. But of course, his point is somewhat of a comparison and somewhat of a contrast. If just in the nature of the case, if you have parents who, who uh, discipline you, although the discipline may not be out of love and it may not be appropriate, nevertheless, you end up fearing them, respecting them in some sense. Wouldn't it be better to submit to God, the God of spirits, the Father of spirits, and respect Him? Of course, in, an, in a normal family, in a Christian family, where you have mom and dad and kids that are loved, when we care for those kids and we teach those kids and we discipline those kids, not only do they draw close to us and love us, but they respect us. And uh, if a son or a daughter does not respect mom and dad, well, then that's some kind of a sign there, isn't it? Thirdly, discipline has a goal. It, it's teleological. So when you read through Hebrews, you can see that there are two things that are stated. One is that you might share in holiness. And then in verse 11, it's described, well, the, the language could be talking about a garden on one hand, or the language could be talking about an investment. To, the word is a payback, but the word payback can fit a garden, and we're talking about the fruit of righteousness. And so the goal of discipline is like planting a garden, and you water it, and you fertilize it, and you pull the weeds, and you squish the bugs, and you're working and working, and then one day, out pops the fruit. But it's, it's taken time. It's taken the gardening season time. Well, kids take time, too. And uh, they're a garden. And if we discipline them, and the goal, our goal, well, will be what God's goal is, to share his holiness. Now, I realize there's all other kinds of things one you could say about that. You could talk about training kids for what kind of employment they're going to have, what kind of service they're going to have, all that stuff. All of that's good. But here in Hebrews, God disciplines us so that we might share his holiness. And uh, then look down at verse 10 again. For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but painful, yet to those who have been exercised by it afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit.
fruit of righteousness. So you start over here with a little kid, and you have certain forms of discipline. You care about that kid. You want the kid to grow up to share God's holiness. You work your way pretty soon. You're down at the teenage years, and you're not disciplining in quite the same way anymore. But some of the problems here have already been worked out so that when a teenager is a teenager in a well-disciplined family, well, he's not like what psychology says he's going to be. Instead, he's still immature, but he's been trained, and the fruit's grown inside of him or her. not trying to make a difference here. And that's what the writer of the Hebrews is talking about. Of course, he's talking about in terms of what God does with us, and we're turning around to talk about what we do with our children. The other thing I want to say is discipline gives life. That's what it says in the passage. Live. Now, I want to step back, and I'm going to tell you some of the things I think. Not everybody in the room is going to agree with them. That's fine. But I think he's really talking about living. In other words, over here, baby comes along. And as Christian parents, you do not have to think that you're in a dice game as to whether these kids are going to grow up and trust Christ. God gives these kids to you so that they will grow up and trust Christ. Now, we know that doesn't always happen. And maybe in some cases we could tell why, but we don't have to worry about that side of the equation. God worries about that side of the equation. The side we work on is we stand over here and we say, oh yeah, here's my little baby. The baby has foolishness bound up in the heart, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. What I'm telling you is, God gives us kids so that they can grow up and be Christians. Now, if you just step back and you think about the Old Testament and you think about the law and Israel comes out of Egypt and they meet with God at Mount Sinai and they make a covenant with God there and everybody's standing there, including all their little ones, and 12 representatives go up the mountain and eat the meal. And God says, they say, yeah, yeah, all, all that you say, that, that's what we're going to do. A covenant is made. And, of course, it's a nation. It's not like somebody in there is not really a citizen. They don't belong. No, they all belong. Well, it goes back to the Abrahamic covenant, doesn't it? And circumcision. Because... God added the covenant of circumcision to the Abrahamic covenant as a sign. And uh, you circumcised your sons. And if you didn't circumcise your sons, they were outside of the covenant. But everyone that was circumcised on eight days, God said, they'll be my son and I'll be their God. Now, do they have 
justifying faith at that point? The answer is no. But are they covenant children? The answer is yes. That means all the promises of the covenant belong to them, whatever it says. That's why they're disciplined by the covenant. That's what they're under. They're not living in another land under some other else's law. They're living in Israel under Israel's law, and they're disciplined by that covenant because they're covenant children. Okay, this is Old Testament. We come down to the New Testament, and 12 guys sat down at a table, and the covenant was ratified. Somehow, we think it's abhorrent that kids today are not in the covenant. I don't find that to be the case. I tried to demonstrate that to you a few weeks back from 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I'm not saying they have justifying faith. I'm saying that they're in the covenant. And that's why we have assurances from God. Here's my covenant. Okay. Train your kids like this. Devote yourself to this I've given you the greatest resources of the kingdom. Your kids do this, and they'll live. So that's what Hebrews is telling us. Hebrews is telling us is discipline is a demonstration of love and legitimacy. Discipline builds respect. You want your kids to respect you? If you ignore them, they won't respect you. We have that all over our land. No father. They're just wild out there in gangs and all. Why? There's no one to discipline them. Discipline has a goal, and that is to share God's holiness, and discipline gives life. So, just as you go out and you see somebody, a new neighbor moves in and they don't know anything about the Bible and you start talking to them about the Bible and you give them the gospel and you're talking to them and you're the means by which God opens their eyes. Now just translate that to little kids or bigger kids. They're given to you and you take this word discipline and you teach them God's word and you teach them what the penalty for sin is like through the discipline and if you stick to it the rod of discipline not maybe the rod of discipline will drive it far from them all right next we must discipline like God. So there are two things then that we're going to say about this. They're just simple, and we're going to build on a couple of them in another message. But there are two things about God that are unquestionable, and that is God is perfect in his discipline and he disciplines according to perfection. In other words, God disciplines justly, only justly. He does not discipline 
with injustice, but with justice. And God is a perfect discipliner. Okay? The problem with us is we're not always going to discipline justly, and we're never a perfect discipliner. But there are a couple of things we can say about this. So if you would, turn to Galatians chapter 6. Just verse 1. Brethren, if a man is caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a, such a one in a spirit of gentleness, uh, in a spirit of gentleness, I just can't read it. It's smashed. <laughs> oh, there it is. Each one uh, looking to himself lest he be tempted. Okay, so now this isn't talking about in the home particularly. This is talking about in the Galatian church setting. And uh, we would call this more along the lines of church discipline, but discipline is discipline. And so we can draw a principle that we can also draw from Hebrews because God is the discipliner and God is perfect. And so if we're going to discipline our children, we have to be spiritual discipliners. That's what Paul says in Galatians. Let the one who is spiritual go in a spirit of gentleness and restore the person. Now, I told you before, let me say it again, in the 80s, I started seminary in the 70s, so in the 70s and the 80s, there was a controversy about child discipline. And it had to do with uh, whether you can look in the Bible and see promises or whether it's just wisdom, it's observations on life, and if you do it this way, well, most of the time it works out okay, and other times it doesn't work out okay. So that was a controversy, and in the church that we attended, which I have high regard for the church and for the man who taught this, I don't know what he would teach today, but this is what he taught when I was there, and this is what I did. He taught that you discipline and you smack that kid, and that drives your anger away. In other words, you discipline while angry. Well, we've been looking at James, and James says, the anger of man does not work the righteousness of God. And our anger is 99.999% uh, of the time selfish. So we discipline because our kid is bothering us, causing us trouble, making us look bad, and then we spend our anger on the backside. No. No. Discipliners have to learn to control themselves to be calm 
it's not quite right to be challenging your child for sin when you're on the way committing sin to take care of their sin. And so you are teaching your children something you really don't want to be teaching them. So Paul says, you who are spiritual. Now you can find lots of places in the Bible where it says God became angry and did this and this. But you see, man's anger doesn't work the righteousness of God. God's anger does. His is a just, holy wrath that's righteous. Ours is not that way. It tends to be quite selfish. So, we want our kids to grow up and do better than we did. And, of course, no one's perfect. But at least uh, in my family, this is something that had to transpire. So that my kids grow up and they're disciplining their children differently than I disciplined them. I wish I could say I never get angry anymore, but I'd be lying to you. And if I said it, you'd knew it. You knew you know I'd be lying too. Okay, so just, and we're going to talk more about that. But that's just an illustration. Now I'm going to give one more illustration on the other side of what we're talking about. Discipline must be just. Okay, so. We have to discipline according to what Scripture says. And when there's a violation of what Scripture says, like you tell your kid, okay, I want you to go outside and do such and such, and they don't go out and do such and such, then they disobeyed you. It's time for discipline. But there are cases where you could discipline where it wasn't just. Or, more precisely, you need to make sure you're just. Okay, so I've heard this too, and this was probably way back in the 70s and 80s. I don't know that I ever did it myself, but I sure thought it was fine. And that was, you know, some kids done something wrong, and uh, uh, you don't know which kid it is. And so you get the kids all together, because the kids all know what's going on. You get all the kids together and say, okay, who done it? And nothing's forthcoming. And you say, okay, then I'll just spank all of you. That's not just. So when we visited the prisons, of course, just about every prisoner told you they were in there on a bad rap. They didn't do it. And uh, in, in the ministry you're in, here's what, here's what they would say to them. They would say, well, it's true. Maybe you didn't do this. I don't know the answer to that. But you, you know that you've done something that deserves what you're getting. You see, that's not just. Because if I go before a court and they say I did such and such and I didn't do it and they send me, I'm not there justly. Now, I'm there in God's sovereign plan, but I'm not there according to justice. So when we deal with our kids, 
of course, we have to deal with them justly. Okay, number four, the standard of discipline. Well, the standard of discipline is going to have uh, a couple of parts to it. It's going to be, well, here's God's word, but you're going to say to your kids something like, okay, this is what the Bible says, and this is what I'm going to say, this plus this. That is, we have house rules. If you violate what the Bible says, you're going to be disciplined. If you violate the house rules, you're going to be disciplined. But the house rules are not God's rules. They're my rules. But since I'm in charge, they're my rules. So if you, if you violate them, you're going to be disciplined. So it has to be clear. The discipline, the standard has to be clear so kids know what to do. And the second thing, just with this discipline, here's the rules. The second thing is no disrespect, period. You cannot disrespect your mother, and you cannot disrespect your father. If I see it, you'll be disciplined. Now, that's all simple enough. I mean, kids are little, and it's gonna have to, you're going to have to grow into an explanation as to what God's Word says and why you do what you do. But, but you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a plan that can be followed. All right. Now, one last point. The essentials of discipline. There are two. The first is discipline must be painful. If it's not painful, it's not discipline. Now, just because you make it painful doesn't make it discipline, but discipline must be painful. Here's what uh, is... Let's see if i got the right place here. Here's what's written in uh, the wrong chapter of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 30. Stripes that wound scour away evil. And strokes reach the inmost being. Now, probably in Proverbs, this is not talking about uh, family discipline. This is probably talking about what the king does. And remember, they used caning, strong, hurtful. But the principle remains the same. What corrects a child, what makes them think about changing their mind is the pain. If you swat your kid and they squawk and then as soon as you're done, the squawking's all over and life's all good, you haven't disciplined. It must be painful. There must be tears, crying, 
that once the spanking is done, will take your consolation to bring it under control. If it's not painful, it's not discipline. One might say, well, you know, I don't really like that. And I, I, I love my kid too much to do that. Of course, Proverbs has something to say about that as well. And I'm sure you know the verse. Proverbs 13:24 says, He who spares his rod hates his son. I don't want to hurt him. He who loves him disciplines him diligently. Now, in Proverbs, you see terms like strike and beat and those sorts of things. Of course, that's not. Some of those are in the context of a caning, what a king does, or a judge does. We don't do that to our kids. We don't abuse our kids. On the other hand, we recognize that when pain is administered and it really is painful, then next time the situation comes up, the kid is going to think differently. And after all, what Proverbs is telling us, these, these strokes go deep. You and I cannot touch a heart. We have no capacity to change a heart. None. We have capacity to teach them. We have capacity to demonstrate to them. We have capacity to show them God's word. But... Who can reach in there and do something with that heart? Only God. And God says, ah, yeah, strokes that go deep scour away evil. So, <laughs> that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Don't look down on God's discipline. The one the Lord loves, he disciplines and he scourges. Why? Because he cares about the end game. He cares about the outcome. Parents who love their kids will discipline. Now, we've just taken a broad sweep. There's more to say about it. One more essential to discipline. Discipline, it's not discipline if it has not brought resolution. So you see here in Hebrews, one who's exercised by this discipline, then a harvest comes forth of peace and righteousness. And this is what should permeate a household, peace and righteousness. But it gets disrupted when children disobey, and you take them and you discipline them, and the discipline hurts enough, and they know mom and dad loves them enough that they want restoration back into fellowship. And if they don't want it, you haven't finished the discipline. Discipline brings about restoration. So you have you have a house that's in harmony. You have a child that causes trouble. You have the parent that takes the child for discipline. 
the discipline is administered, and when the discipline is administered, fellowship is restored, and your house is at peace. Again, Christian houses should be at peace. Well, that's what God's house is supposed to be at peace, too. And Hebrews 11 is now uh, not specifically addressed to children to disciplining children. The principles come there, but it is directly addressed to we adults. And God does discipline. When you're a child, you get immediate discipline with a stick. When you're an adult, it may not come right away, and it doesn't come because there's a parent spanking your behind. That might work sometimes, but it comes because God has a rule and order in his universe, and he has ways of bringing natural causes into your life. And that's why Galatians says, <laughs> God's not going to be mocked. What a man sows, that's what he's going to reap. If he sows to the flesh, from the flesh he'll reap corruption. If he sows to the spirit, from the spirit, well, what will he reap? All goodness. Let's stand. Father, we thank you that you do love us and uh, your goal repeated in so many different ways in scripture is that we might come out in the end blameless and holy and I pray Father that you would give us that desire that we would pursue hard after Christ pursue hard after you our Father that we might be like you and that we would, even in the moments when we know we're being disciplined and it hurts like crazy, know that that's a sign of your love and look forward to the fruit that comes from it. And I pray that this we would listen to about our children and make sure that we are discipliners whom our kids know we love them so when, we're, when their discipline is over, they want to be back with us in fellowship and help us to be discipliners who are under control and to recognize when we're not under control, we can't discipline. Help us grow in this, Lord, because we know in the church in America right now and in our country, families are in terrible disarray and you can put it all right do that for us we pray in christ's name amen